one. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the informational interviews hosted by the Actuarial Science Club here at Nebraska. Today, we have Sam Futterman. Sam is currently an actuarial associate and recent graduate of the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. I personally want to thank Sam for being, hopping on the podcast today because I firmly believe Sam is easily one of the hardest working actuarial science majors I knew at UNL. While in college, Sam continually interned at Emeritus and rotated through three different departments. And during this time, he also achieved his ASA back in August of 2019 and his SARA certification back in January 2020, all while graduating Nebraska in May 2020. Sam, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you very much for those kind words there. I think you uh, do me too much there. <laughs> hey man, like I told you, I, this you've easily been one of the hardest working people I've seen so far, and I'm, I'm really happy, you know, that we were able to grab you on today and share your insights with our students and listeners. So thank you. Thank you, my pleasure. All right, so I guess without further ado, can you tell me a little bit about yourself and your professional story? Uh, definitely. So I um, grew up actually uh, kind of outside of the Midwest. I was born and raised in Southern California. And I kind of find out about the actual profession, and that led me, well, in high school, I should say, and that led me to really research, you know, what schools really did well in the actual science major, and made me learn about the CAE schools, it made me um, realize how good of a program UNL has, and then I obviously applied to UNL, got accepted, and attended the University of Nebraska, and um, I attended the Jeffrey S. Rake School while at UNL, so that's kind of an um, integrated program between computer science and management, something that really stood out to me about UNL's program. And like you said, while at UNL, I started interning with Emeritus in the second semester of my freshman year. I started um, in corporate actuarial, which does a lot of the reserving for our um, various you know, life annuity. I think you are there too, right? You did reserving in corporate? Nice, nice, I like it. <laughs> so yeah, so I did corporate actuarial for about first year, year and a half. And then Emeritus has a really cool rotation program where it's actually designed to kind of stay with the company all through um, college, which out great because I interned both during the school year as well as during the summers. So I started in corporate actuarial for a year, rotated into individual actuarial, which is a lot of our um, product pricing, specifically for you know, our life and annuity products. And in my third and final year, I rotated into our group division, which does um, kind of employee benefits, specifically dental and vision insurance. So it was a really cool kind of different flavor of the insurance industry. And then, like you said, in uh, May of 2020, I graduated college and I couldn't have ended up in a better place. You know, I stayed on with Emeritus full time in kind of full circle back in their corporate actuarial department. And I'm currently working on their valuation team and um, I do a lot of different things, you know, day to day job. But I'd say one of the main things I do is work on our team that does uh, variable annuity reserving. Awesome. And then, uh, you know, I, I know our listeners can't really see, but I was giving them, Sam, like a thumbs up about corporate actuarial. Um, so the team I was on last summer, and I'm definitely more partial and biased um, towards the departments of that company because I've, I've loved it there in corporate actuarial. Um, but as you um, as you can see, like you've been all over, you've been in corporate actuarial, the individual side, and also even a little bit of dental and vision, um, which is really cool, especially at uh, a life insurance company um, like Emeritus. And, you know, one of the biggest things that I've seen with students is the whole researching schools and why they go to a specific school for actuarial science. Um, not many people that know about actuarial science know that there's also 
a certification for a school to actually say like, hey, they're really good at what they do. Um, so fantastic, that's awesome. Thank you, I appreciate that. <laughs> so before you came to UNL, you kind of talked a little bit about researching why you specifically chose UNL for actuarial science, but what made you really want to pursue actuarial science? Definitely. I do have kind of a unique story, so it'll be interesting, you know, tell it. I do apologize if you hear uh, barking in my background. Sometimes my dogs like to introduce themselves on video calls, so uh, if you hear any barking, it's um, it's not in my stomach or anything. It's uh, the dogs. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so, like I said, it's really a story. Um, growing up, I had always kind of thought I would end up in more of like an engineering type of profession, and a really kind of funny antidote is that in first grade, so you know how you drive about what you're going to do when you grow up. And I said I was going to go to Caltech. I, I do say Cal, C-O-W, not Caltech. It's a big kind of engineering school in California. I was going to be an engineer. And that was kind of like me growing up. Like I thought I was going to be an engineer, um, go to Caltech, not Cal. So I guess that was a little different. But then kind of as I got older, I got involved in a lot of different um, activities. Um, you know, say I taught Taekwondo, I taught volleyball, I did um, a lot of volunteering. A lot of things that you use kind of interpersonal communication and just really kind of social activities is I really realized I wanted a kind of a profession that was going to be very social in that kind of um, communicative environment, not just speaking technical terms, but more kind of relationship building terms. I think another big thing that contributed to it too is that um, growing up, my dad, he was a CPA self-employed, so, you know, very business oriented. And all my relatives and family friends, they're also kind of either self-employed or more in business professions. So it's definitely kind of just a environment that I kind of was more familiar with and kind of felt like it was a fair fit for me. So that's so in high school is kind of when I started saying, okay, maybe engineering's not where I want to be. Maybe it's more, you know, business. And then wanting to kind of stay with that technical flavor, the actual profession really kind of popped up. So it's kind of funny because I think most people like on the actual profession, they go to it because it's a math profession. For me, it was more because it was a business profession and just happened to have that technical flavor that I really liked too. And then this is kind of where it gets a little more interesting too. So I um, grew up in California, you know, um, I could walk to the beach, okay? I grew up surfing, you know, beach boy, whatever. And um, a couple of guys I surfed with, um, one of them actually worked in the insurance industry as a general agent. And I told him that I was in the actual profession, and he's like, hey, I know it's an actuary. You want to um, you know, set up a call? And so I talked to him over the phone, just the nicest guy, really helped me a ton. He was actually based out of Bermuda, so that was kind of cool. I was like, oh, wow, actuaries work in Bermuda? And I mean, just the nicest guy and really helped me kind of better understand what the actual profession was all about. And from there, I started calling more actuaries, kind of getting more just kind of building relationships and understanding what is this profession, what are things I can really look for. Um, I kind of learned, okay, it's more business first than math second, which I liked. That was some, something that appealed to me. And that's what really also kind of drew me to UNL because from there, I started looking at the CAE schools, as you mentioned. Um, at the time, I don't know, I know it's between like 12 and 16. I don't remember offhand. I used to know how many there were. Um, I researched the CAE schools. That was like my starting list. And then from there, I realized I wanted to go business college, not the College of Arts and Sciences. So that narrowed down to about six schools. And, you know, it was pretty just looking at each individual school at that point. The rig school is something that jumped out to me because I wanted that computer science background since, you know, our world every day is becoming more and more reliant on computer science. 
And, uh, you know, it couldn't be happier with the decision, you know, UNL and actuarial science, both of them. That's awesome. So one quick aside that I wanted to mention that I kind of find pretty funny, um, the whole surfing story. Like in California, surfing's a huge thing. You found out about actuarial science and what actuaries do through surfing. A funny like little thing about me is I'm from Texas and what's huge in Texas? Football. I actually found out about actuarial science when going to a football game. Um, so I, I just found that really, that's like hilarious. Um, cause my friend's dad told me about that. Um, and we were going to Cowboys game, preseason game, like, I don't know, 2017. And I just, you know, there's so many different ways that you will hear about the profession. And I have never heard really like too much of a similar story um, in like those crazy asides. But I think that's so funny. Um, but one of the big things that I wanted to highlight too, which I totally could not agree with more, is how you want to put business first. And you want to be able to connect with people and communicate with people. Um, I don't think that's the first thing that typically comes to mind outside um, from people outside of actuarial science. Um, so I'm really glad you brought that up because um, it's really cool because I didn't know I didn't know you, you know, volunteered and taught Taekwondo. Um, and like that's kind of where you you found out like, hey, this, you know, I like being able to communicate and really connect with people. So that's that's really cool. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree with you more. That's actually funny though that you kind of found it the same way. That's probably the most similar I've ever heard too. So thanks for sharing that. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's always it's always my go-to uh, thing whenever I tell people about actuarial science is like football and actuarial science. That's how I mix the two together. It's like that's how I started. Um, but like I said, I really do want to like reiterate the the whole thing about how communicating within actuarial science is huge because um, you have to really take these huge technical ideas or concepts and really break them down into something that's digestible for senior leadership or someone in the sales department or really another actuarial team because there's so many different things within actuarial that are just require so many moving parts it's, it's crazy <laughs> So like I said, like in my introduction a little bit, um, achieving, you achieved your ASA and achieving your ASA credential is one heck of an accomplishment. So first and foremost, congratulations. That's awesome. Um, and you did this while in college, uh, which is even like why, why I said like hardest working person I know easily. Um, could you walk us through how you were able to balance um, the heavy course load that actuarial science typically does have at a lot of schools um, while also taking those actuarial exams? Definitely. Um, yeah, I got that people asking this before. And I don't know, it's almost like I have to start off with a little bit of bad news that there's really, there's no shortcuts to it. I mean, I really do wish I could, you know, pull out this magic wand and, you know, here you go. That's a secret. But really, there's there's not, at least for me, like, I, definitely it's not like the actual material came easy to me whatsoever. I mean, it was just a lot of time and effort. But there's definitely obviously some things I think that are helpful. And I mean, the first I definitely think is just, uh, do you want to do it? Commitment to it. Um, you know, I kind of decided early on that, early on being you know, that freshman year when I took my first exam, I was like, okay, I knew this was a career I wanted to do. And I was fortunate that I kind of decided that in high school. I think that kind of commitment that I developed early on really helped me with the exams because I was able to essentially give everything I had to it and really do my best to um, pass the exams, kind of leave all everything on the table, so to speak. So that's definitely a big one. Um, another one, too, I'd say for me is kind of scheduling. 
is that uh, I always find when I schedule things out versus just kind of playing it haphazardly, the results are almost always better. No, I'm definitely not saying, you know, schedule every part of your life. I'm a pretty spontaneous person. You know, I definitely will go out and do something fun, blah, blah, blah. Um, but at the same time, say with your study schedule, you know, scheduling things out, I think it gives you a better perspective of what's going on in your life. And it kind of leads me to my next point, too, of just like prioritizing. Like you said, you know, as a college student, you have so many different clubs and activities. Um, you know, your coursework, you have social stuff, you have, you know, that's why exams. I mean, there's so many different things to consider. And I mean, you can't do all of it. And so it kind of comes to a point where you have to, you have to prioritize. And so I think kind of taking a, taking a step back, being retrospective and saying, okay, what are the things that matter most? Hit the big ones first. And then you can kind of see, okay, where does the rest of the stuff fit in your schedule? So that's like a big one for me too, kind of scheduling and prioritizing how things work. And like I said, though, too, I mean, yeah, if you're going to do coursework and um, SOA exams, it might not be a, a balance. It might just be a lot. And that's what it is. I mean, do you want to do a lot? You know, <laughs> at least for me, it's fine. Because I know, I know there are definitely people that, I mean, I've, I've heard them say, yeah, they start out studying for an exam, you know, three weeks before. And I hear that. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I would get like a one if I was lucky, you know, probably a zero. I mean, I don't know how people do that. I think for every exam I've done, I've studied at least three months out. I mean, at a bare minimum. Um, some of them, I think, were closer to five or six months. Um, last one I just did do the exams being delayed. What was it? At least six months. It was a while. So that's definitely something I do find that's helpful, though, when you're trying to do the, the balance. Because, you know, let's just say you're going to study, I think, what, the first exams, they always say 300. I don't know if I got that number below above it, but let's just use that number. Um, if you spread it over three months versus one month, you're able to fit in a lot more stuff whether it be on you know, your coursework, your social activities clubs, all that good stuff. So I definitely recommend spacing out. I also find it's um, easier to learn material over a longer period of time being consistent versus cramming. Um, I always know professors will say the same thing with regards to, you know, school and coursework. I don't know if I followed it as much in school, but I definitely followed it with the SO exams and I found it helpful. So <laughs> very least, maybe take that away. Um, <laughs> yeah, let's see here. Um, I did write one one more thing here. I I do appreciate the question. They will make some notes here, but um, I would recommend, I guess, if you're on the fence about the exam, you know, take it or not, and you know actual science is where you're headed. I would definitely say, you know, you'll go for it. Give it a try because worst case scenario, okay, you don't pass, you have to retake it. It's just an exam, good or bad. And I mean, I think that's really important to remember. Like, it's just an exam. You know, whether you're an ooing and aahing over how many exams someone's passed, or you're down yourself because of failing ones. Like, it's just an exam. I mean, look at everything you've accomplished, man. I mean, how we're able to, you know, talk and the people we talked about, you know, those interpersonal relationships. There's so many other important things, too. So it's important to remember that. But at the same time, yeah, if you know this is the right career for you, and you know you're going to take the actual exams, I'd say go for it. Um, and if you're going to go for it, go in with the attitude of not if I pass or we're just going to give the old college try. Going with the attitude, okay, how am I going to pass this? Like, I'm going to do my classes. I'm going to do the exam. I'm going to do all of them and pass. And now it's just more, how am I going to figure it out? Because, you know, it's going to be a lot of time, a lot of effort. It's not worth worrying about it. It's better spent time planning and studying for the exam. So that's kind of be my, my recommendation if you're on the fence. Awesome. So kind of just reiterate the, like, the, the main topics that I kind of heard was you committed early on. And one of the biggest helpers is, 
whenever you're, you know, majoring in actuarial science at first, it's just, if you really know you want to do it, commit to it. Um, Cause that just helps, I get not really ease the process, but it just helps you give ease of mind in some sense or like shape or form. Cause you know, you want to do this, you know, you're passionate about it. If you know you want to do it, you know you're passionate about it. That's, you know, that's basically the first step. And then after that, scheduling and time management is huge, um, especially in actuarial science and in school. When you're like you like you said, when you're trying to balance all these clubs, social activities, interpersonal skills that go along with all the things outside of the exams, um, huge. Also prioritizing as an actuarial science major, and I'm sure I'm sure this is the same for you. I'm going to ask. You, like I know everyone wants to do it all in an actuarial science. I'm I'm guessing you're the same way. Is that correct? Oh, definitely. Like you said, I mean, there's, there's definitely <laughs> things you gotta choose. <laughs> exactly, and like one of the biggest things we have to do with that is prioritize uh, what's most important to us at that time and, and place. Um, and I love the advice you gave at the end. If you're on the fence, just go for it. Um, I know a lot of people that are just like, eh, I kind of want to take it. But at the same time, it's like, eh, it's so much time and effort. Just, I love how you said, um, you rephrased the question instead of the initial, you said, how am I going to pass? That's what you should be asking for. Um, when did you really like kind of, I guess, develop that uh, mindset of like, you know, like change? Cause that's like, I've, I've never heard that. And I think that's like super beneficial for our um, students and listeners to hear. Yeah, definitely. Um, that's definitely something I think developed my whole life growing up. Um, I was very fortunate. Both of my parents, they really were um, big on morals and values and like working hard to things. Um, you know, I started Taekwondo when I was four years old and I did it until I was 17. So you know, 13 years of my life. So that kind of um, commitment and those values are definitely instilled on me at a young age. So I definitely hit the, the parent jackpot on that front. But um, another thing, I guess, it might sound weird, but like, I've always been really, you know, fascinated by like quotes and learning from, you know, people that are really successful, whether it be in business. Yeah, you too, right? Yeah, I love it. So yeah, where it's business or all the time, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I I love that. I love learning about, you know, successful people and trying to, you know, ask a lot of questions and learn about it. Um, I've also been you know, going to like just uh, you know, exercise and fitness. There seems like there's tons of motivational videos on that. So I think when I really got into that. I just got like inundated with all these like motivational videos and quotes and stuff like that. So it's definitely been a kind of just a, a long lifelong learning process in regards to, you know, mindset and how to approach things. It's not one uh, snap of the finger, so to speak. Gotcha. So it's, it's cultivated over a long period of time, essentially. And I love how you said the whole thing about which looking and like reading about successful people and like reading their quotes mm -hmm. um, my pinterest timeline is just filled <laughs> with motivational business quotes or just motivational quotes in general um because it helps you facilitate that mindset like you said um which again it does not happen overnight it takes a long yep. time to really allow it to like really sit and ferment into something they can use every day yeah, I absolutely agree with you. I mean, I don't know about you, like what kind of got you started on it? I always love learning. <laughs> so believe it or not, I actually got started in Taekwondo as well. Um, I I got my first degree black belt sometime in high school. I don't remember, um, but I did not do it from four to 17. I probably started when I was like 10 and <laughs> did it from like 10 to 17. Um, but I, I loved it. And I, I, you know, it really helps you kind of commit um, to an art 
so to say, um, yep. and really helps you like just develop that mindset. So that's that's so cool. I'm, I like drawing the parallels. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, we got a lot of them. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, there you go. Look at that. And then now, now that we talked about how we love motivational quotes and all that stuff. So how have you been able to stay motivated through the exam process? Because for a lot of students, it can be a real challenge. Um, So what tips or tricks maybe could you offer? Definitely. Um, There's a lot of things. I would definitely say it's it's not like, um, it's not this, you know, picturesque, rosy, you know, painting or anything. I mean, I think everyone is going to have their ups and downs, but I definitely find I'm um, always keeping that kind of end goal why you're doing it um, in mind. You know, there, everyone has their own reason. There's no right or wrong reason. But I think keeping that, that reason of why you're doing things in mind is definitely helpful. I mean, let's just say you're doing a really tough practice problem and you just can't get it. You kind of just take a step back and, okay, I'm doing this for this reason. It's not about the practice problem. It's about the goal I'm trying to achieve. It makes you a lot more motivated, I find. So I definitely would keep that in mind. And then also, I think it's kind of learning to accept those bumps in the road. Um, you know, it's really, it's not about, you know, here's another quote, okay. So it's not really about, you know, how many times you fall off the horse or how many times you get knocked down. It's about being able to get back up on the horse and keep going. And I look back on the exams I've taken, and I kid you not, I feel like every exam I've taken, there's been something like that goes wrong. And if I just kind of called it, I mean, I, it wouldn't have ended well. And I think a, a great funny little story is when I took my very first exam. So I took P first. And I mean, when you take your first actual exam, it's just such an experience because you have no clue what's, what's it going to be like, even though you obviously take the practice exams. I mean, the actual experience, you know, they wave the little like magic wand metal detector over you. And um, I think I even called it a magic wand at the place, but it's a different story. And uh, <laughs> it's just such a different experience in the nerves. I go in there, and the first question pops up. And I kid you not, it was the hardest question on that whole exam. I had zero clue how to solve it. My very first actuarial exam. And but thankfully, I mean, I definitely remember. Like, okay, I looked at that problem, and I was like, all right, I have no clue. I get it. I'm just gonna do what I practice. I'm gonna move on to the next one. I'm gonna pass the exam. We're, we're gonna get through this. We're gonna find a way. And thankfully, I was able to get past it. And I didn't let that one little bump stop me. And like I said, it's the hardest question on the exam. I still have no clue what the answer was. Um, <laughs> so I guess that would be kind of my, you know, my recommendation of, you know, how to keep that motivation. You know, just remember, there's no, there's no shortcut. Everyone goes through ups and downs, but it's how you handle those ups and downs that really is going to allow you to keep moving forward. Exactly. I couldn't agree more, um, especially with this accepting the bumps on the road. Because um, like you said, like in the first part of your answer, um, it's not all sunshine, sunshine and roses to start off, it, and it never will be. As many of us really want it to be, um, it never will be. Um, but the one of the key things that we need to do is always keep that end goal in mind. Um, I, I don't know, it, like I, it always helps me uh, keep perspective on why I'm doing the exams. I'm, I'm sure, like, that's what you said in your answer. Um, it, like, just helps you keep that perspective um, of why you're doing this. Because whenever you lose the why, I don't know if this has been in your experience, but whenever I lose the why of, like, why I do something, that's that's typically it. That's that's the end. Oh, um, so it's, it's imperative to really uh, keep that, you know, the why uh, mm-hmm. up in your mind always, so. 
Fantastic. And then for those just entering the field um, of actuarial science, either as a student or a full-time analyst, uh, what do you suggest that we should experience before we enter into the workforce? That's a great question. Um, there's definitely you know, no right answer because I do realize you know everyone's coming from different places. And I mean, just because something works for one person doesn't mean it's going to work for you too. But there's definitely, I think, some things that I found really helpful for me. Um, internships, you know, are obviously a great one. I find, um, I mean, that's obviously what led to my job. But on top of that, you get that really kind of um, real world experience. You, you get to understand what the actual profession is all about. You know, it's one thing to learn about in the classroom. I think, you know, especially, you know, they're doing an incredible job. But obviously, it's still kind of more of a theoretical viewpoint. So being able to get that applied experience is great. Um, but I know not everyone, depending on which college they're at, is going to have as easy access to um, internships. So I would say if you're in high school, well, first off, props to you for watching this exam and learning. And second off, I would say um, definitely consider internship opportunities in, in your college search. Um, that was something that I considered a big reason when I came to Midwest. Um, there weren't a lot, of, a lot of insurance companies near the colleges that I would consider in California. And there's a ton of insurance um, companies in the Midwest. So kind of it made sense if I really wanted to, you know, go all out with this actual profession to come to the Midwest. Um, not saying, you know, you should pick real based on career, but for me, it was worth it. You know what I mean? To me, um, I want to go after the actual profession. And like, I'm, I'm pretty happy I'm in the Midwest. I love it here. It's a great place to be. Yeah. So internships are a great one. Other ones, um, you know, developing your uh, interpersonal communication skills you mentioned earlier. They're so important. Um, actuaries do have the reputation of not being the most personal. Um, I don't know why, because I'm talking to Matt here, and he's like the most personal guy I've met. But uh, <laughs> um, I, don't, I think it might be a little exaggerated overall, but still, I mean, it's, it really is important to develop those personal skills because, you know, it's one thing to know an answer to a question or at least have a recommendation. Because I will say, a lot of times, there's no right answer in the actual profession. It's just recommendation. But being able to communicate the answer is a lot of time what is going to sell something. It's what's going to make the recommendation turn into an action. And also, I mean, I probably would say this might even be more important, you could argue, is it makes life way more enjoyable. You're going to develop fun relationships, meet new people. And so really, developing those communication skills are super important. And ways you can do that, it really ranges, you know, the whole spectrum. You can take classes in college. Um, it can be an actual English or writing class, or it can be a class that just happens to have a lot of presentations. So it doesn't have to be an actual communication class. Um, also, there's organizations such as Toastmasters. That was one that I considered before I um, went to college. I've personally never done it, but I've really been interested in it. And there's a good chance I'll um, attend one of those meetings at one point or another. But I definitely recommend that for nothing but good things. And I'd say one of the biggest ones, too, it's kind of funny because it's almost like it's just your daily life activities. You've got to be surprised how many opportunities there are to develop communication skills, whether it's writing emails or talking to a friend or a family member, or let's say right now, what Matthew, Matt and I are doing, you know, we're just having a little podcast, we're talking to each other. Now, do I think of this as, you know, uh, my communication skills? No, I'm just having fun with my buddy, but it's just kind of, it just kind of shows you how many different ways there are to develop those communication skills. And I guess on the same topic, what I recommend is that, you know, the next time you're you're not sure, let's say in class, whether to ask the professor a question or not, or your friend, you know, reach out to them. Worst case scenario, you get a little more practice writing emails. 
um, and you're probably going to learn something. So it'll do better in the class. And it's really kind of a win-win. The same thing goes for you know, volunteering. When the teacher says, you know, anyone want to raise their hand? Raising your hand answering a question not only does it develop your communication skills, but also kind of develops your courage, which, you know, is quite important, I must say, uh, in the business world. You'd be surprised how much that comes into play, just having the courage to speak up. So that's another good one. And on top of that, I would say um, coding. You know, getting, being someone that minor in computer science, I definitely saw a lot of value with regards to computer science. Um, I, I like it a lot. I think, you know, the world is going that way more and more so. And I definitely recommend either taking classes in college. Um, there's, I know, a wide array of UNF, some great ones that I took. And you can also, though, develop a lot of computer science skills outside the classroom. There are so many. On like online, I don't know what they're called, like open source platforms. I know there's an acronym for it, I think it's called MOOC. But there's so many different one of those courses out there. You don't have to spend anything on that. I have such great information because, you know, computer science, it's on the computer. It's so readily available, the information. I highly recommend doing that. Some of the languages that I'd say you are going to use the most and also are the most applicable, you know, for applying for jobs. You know, you have SQL, it's a database language. Um, pretty much every company, whether it's insurance or not, uses SQL. And if it's not using SQL, it's probably using another database language that isn't that different. So I think uh, you've used it before too, right, Matt? I remember I was uh, seeing your... Oh, yeah. Uh, I used it all the time last summer. <laughs> yep. Yep. So there you go. So you got Matt's recommendation, so you know it's good. Um, so you got SQL. That's a huge one. And then all those data science languages, uh, Python and R. Um, I know a lot of people, they're either in one camp or another camp. Um, personally, I think they're both great. They both have their uses. I've used them both in the classroom and outside the classroom. And you can't go wrong with either one. And the nice thing too is that you learn one, the other one's going to be pretty easy to pick up. And that really goes for just about any language. Yeah, I know you're, you're agreeing there. Yep, couldn't agree more there. Um, you learn any computer science language. Just that process is going to allow you to learn any other language with a lot um, more ease. And it also helps you kind of just kind of think in decision making i would say that more um programmatic type way of thinking it's not like i'm acting like a computer at work i don't mean it that way but it definitely helps you kind of deduce things and reason about things so i can't recommend enough and on that topic too so let's say you're going to take a class you know whether it be an r python sql i find doing something especially as a college student if you're out of college um probably doesn't really apply but if you're in college and you're looking to build your resume, doing something that's a little bit more tangible, whether it be a certification or a course, is going to be really helpful, I think, because you're able to put down your resume and you're able to show the, the employer that, hey, I did this, this, and that. You can see here's proof of it. Because I know a lot of times with actuarial um, internships or resumes, you'll see you know, proficiency in Microsoft Excel. It's like, okay, proficient in it, but what does that mean? And being able to actually put something on the resume that shows exactly what you did and your commitment to it, I think, is really beneficial. And that goes for Excel, too. You know, taking classes in Excel or VBA, also great things to do as an actuary. So the nice thing is there's a lot of readily available information out there on the Internet and a lot of options that may not cost money. Like I said, you can whether it be building your communication skills, you know, just in your daily life or doing online tutorials on computer science. Language. There's definitely a lot of ways. To kind of develop that resume and to develop your skills for the actual profession. 
I could not agree more, because um, especially with the communication skills. Um, I, one of the things that I really wanted to point out was um, communication skills are fantastic, but the thing you really brought up that is a whole other factor within that is the courage and the ability to speak up and provide your opinion within a case study or something within credibility or something like that. Um, that is so important in the business world, um, especially today, um, and even more so in actuarial science. Because um, I, like we said before, actuaries don't exactly get the best, I guess, rap for being the best communicator uh, or even the most outgoing people. But like you said, we're like extremely personal people. We have a great time talking to people, um, and yeah. we just love to be able to communicate like you know data um and basically anything within actuarial science it's 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 really fun as nerdy but oh, I, I love it <laughs> it's so fun um but one of the things i all want to bring up well is the certifications and uh classes that you taught uh, i mean not, not that you taught that you brought up um because those are taught and available all throughout the internet because I remember my freshman year um, I wanted to at least expose myself to coding um, and I went to Stanford and Stanford had like an online free R course or something like that to at least get you like get you a leg up because um, I, I cannot stress enough how many ready and available resources there are for you to at least get some exposure in that coding aspect mm -hmm. as I'm as I'm sure you've seen as well um, all over the place oh. right Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, it's awesome. And then, oh, one more thing, Toastmasters. I've heard nothing but great things about them as well. And I actually knew um, one of their previous presidents, I think it was the president like two years ago. Um, fantastic opportunity um, for people to practice their public speaking skills. Cause I mean, I mean, you know more than more than I do right now cause you are a full-time associate. Um, how important is communication? for an actuary oh, I mean, within an, an insurance company. So I mean, it's just, I mean, like you said, it doesn't matter how good your idea is or you can't communicate it. It's, it's only going to get you so far. Exactly. Well, there you go. They heard it, heard it here first. In order to be an actuary, you need to be a communicator. <laughs> <laughs> so upon entering the workforce this past May, what was something that surprised you? Hmm. See, I was fortunate in that, you know, I'd been with the company for three years, so probably a lot of the normal surprising things I didn't experience as much. But in that same token, I did get experience this whole remote work and um, onboarding. And I would say something that was really good that also really surprised me is how well we've been able to work remotely. And this isn't just Emeritus, but all, you know, my friends are at other insurance companies that are full-time. I mean, everyone's kind of saying the same thing. It's like, wow, all of our IT departments are really coming together and look at how well we're able to work remotely. I think it's been something that most people thought was kind of going to be a not if, but when with regards to remote working being such a such a prevalent thing in society. And I think, you know, now we're kind of at the point where it's like, well, it's about as prevalent as it's going to be. Are we going to go backwards kind of more in the office is the question. And so I'm just really, really curious to see how how it develops as, you know, Everything kind of gets back to normal. Um, how is the remote work going to be? Is it going to be to this extent? Is it going to go back to you know the prior extent? I mean, it'll probably be somewhere in the middle. But uh, I think it just it's so much opportunity too, with regards to you know traveling or sharing ideas faster. Because 
while there are some you know hiccups with regards to remote communication i mean look what we're able to do right now i mean even though we're both you know in lincoln right now even if we weren't we'd be able to have this conversation and to me it really just opens up a lot of opportunities and ways to make the world a better place so i'm excited for it it'll be it'll be fun to see exactly and i'm excited for it too i'm i'm very curious to see what the end road uh, will look like after all this wraps up. Um, but last but not least, this is my favorite question to ask people because I'm a huge foodie. I love food and going out and trying new foods. Um, so I want your opinion on this. And, and you knew it was coming because I sent the question list over to you. What are the top three places to eat in Lincoln, Nebraska? Yeah, that's that was a tough one. I definitely spent some time on that one. Um, I'm also a big foodie. I love to eat food, cook food, all, all of the above. Um, now, I should know, too. I mean, if you're a culinary guy, I don't know if you're going to appreciate my recommendations to you. A lot of time, I've gotten in the habit of when I do, like, really fancy stuff, I'll attempt, attempt, I'm going to stress that word, to do it at home. And then more for, like, the social type of restaurants, I'll go out more social. Those are the ones I go more frequently to. So I would say number one for me was uh, Sultan's Kite. I went there a ton in college. You know, the Euro joint. Yeah. yeah. And for anyone that's not from Lincoln, it, it's kind of crazy. It definitely is one of the things that surprised me the most is how popular Euro restaurants are in downtown Lincoln. There's like four of them right in the middle of Lincoln. And you never expect, you know, four Euro restaurants in the middle of the Midwest. So definitely check those out if you're in Lincoln and you don't mind, you know, going to a, a dive restaurant, you know, a little college, college restaurant there. I love them. It's one of my favorite places to go. Although I did hear that their sign has not been up in a little while. So I'm a little nervous. It might, I don't know. I'm crossing my fingers. It's still there. I am too. That's my favorite one. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm the same boat. I've had multiple of them. That's also my favorite one. So we'll, we'll cross our fingers there. Um, yeah, exactly. So that's my top one. Um, another one I would say is uh, Boiler Brewing. So it does have the kind of 21 and over requirements. But if you're into craft beers, it's absolutely, absolutely amazing. I love it. It's definitely kind of like my go-to like celebratory place or it's a birthday or whatever. It's just such a fun place to go. It's right under um, Hearthstone. That's, they make all their beers. It's like this like giant encyclopedia menu that changes every like two weeks. They always have new beers. They have like nitro beers I've tried there. I've tried IPAs are like 14, 19% um, alcohol by volume. Just these crazy beers you'll have. And just really, really cool. And they also, best, um, another great part about it is they cater food from Single Barrel, which is a great restaurant in town. You get amazing, you know, craft beers, you get amazing barbecue food, cool atmosphere underneath uh, Hearthstone. So it's a great place to chat. So highly recommend that place. And then my third one went back and forth. There's a lot of them, but I kind of went with a Hopcast. It's another fun place right in the heart of downtown, kind of Haymarket area. So if you're going to, let's say, Pinnacle Bank Arena, great place to hit up. They have trivia there, which I've done, a lot of fun, and um, can't go wrong. I mean, Lincoln's a great place for food, in my opinion. Totally agree. There's endless places to eat downtown, and they're all amazing. But Sam... Thank you so much for hopping on the podcast today and sharing your insights with all of our listeners and students here at Nebraska. Uh, we were super excited that you were able to come on today and, and, and provide that for us. So thank you very much. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. This was a blast. Of course, of course. Well, without further ado, everyone, we will be signing off. Thank you for listening.